This is Active Ingredients. On today's program, MIT linguistics professor Noam Chomsky delivering the 8th annual Ekbal Ahmed Lecture at Hampshire College on the subject of Washington's Messianic Mission. A technical note, I was not able to use my own microphones to record this program, so how sound it is, sort of. Now, Noam Chomsky. Start with a quote, the roots of the Bush Doctrine. The promotion of democracy is central to the George W. Bush administration's prosecution of both the war on terrorism and its overall grand strategy. The statement is unsurprising. It's an assertion of obvious importance. It's adopted with near unanimity. And when an assertion of obvious importance is adopted with near unanimity, uh, any rational person will ask a few questions, like what's the evidence on which it's based? The results of an inquiry like that tell us quite a lot about the state of democracy in the society in question. So to take an extreme case, if uh, similar declarations are produced in North Korea, we don't even trouble to ask about the evidence. It suffices that the dear leader declared it. In a democratic culture, very substantial evidence would be uh, demanded, along with serious argument to refute apparent counter-evidence. Well, that's the inquiry I'd like to suggest to you and devote this evening to. I think it's an inquiry for our society, very worth undertaking. And I think its results uh, should be quite disturbing to those who care about their country. In January, as you know, uh, Iraq held elections. And they were warmly welcomed uh, by the government uh, of Iran. Uh, the uh, foreign minister of Iran declared that, I'm quoting him, Iran supports the wishes of Iraqi citizens for a democratic government, a fully sovereign Iraq, and a stable and peaceful region of democratic states. Very noble. Uh, rational observers will uh, view Iran's dedication to democracy promotion with uh, perhaps a shade of skepticism. Uh, and the same is true when... Uh, Bush, Blair, Rice, and their associates issue similar pronouncements. In fact, far more so in this case, for reasons that it takes some effort to ignore. Uh, the most glaring of these reasons is occasionally articulated, although very rarely. Uh, one of the very few who broke ranks is a Middle East specialist, Augustus Richard Norton, who pointed out, I'm quoting him, as fantasies about Iraq's weapons of mass destruction were unmasked, the Bush administration increasingly stressed the democratic transformation of Iraq, and scholars jumped on the democratization bandwagon. Uh, before the fantasies were unmasked, uh, there was, of course, occasional invocation of the standard pieties uh, about democratic transformation, but not beyond the usual meaningless norm. Uh, in the most extensive study of official justifications for the Iraq invasion, the volume by John Prados, uh, you'll have to look hard for terms like democracy. There's nothing in the index, and I couldn't find one. While they're asking us to appreciate the sincerity of their 
uh, eloquent orations about the sudden conversion to democratic transformation, uh, U.S. and British leaders are also informing us that they are among the most brazen liars in history. Uh, And we know that uh, because they drove their countries to war on the grounds of what they insistently called a single question. Will Saddam abandon his weapons of mass destruction programs? That was repeatedly stressed as the single question. Uh, By August 2003, uh, when the tale was falling to pieces, uh, the press reported, this is the New York Times, uh, as the search for illegal weapons in Iraq continues without success, the Bush administration has moved to emphasize a different rationale for the war against Saddam Hussein. Uh, using Iraq as the linchpin to transform the Middle East and thereby reduce the terrorist threat to the United States, and more accurately, as the writer knew, to risk enhancing the terrorist threat, uh, which happened as was anticipated uh, and as their own intelligence agencies confirm. Well, this alone suffices to undermine the credibility of the different rationale, but that's only the bare beginning. Uh, Nonetheless, the new rationale quickly became holy writ, North Korean style. Uh, The sincerity of our, if you think the analogy is wrong, I just urge you to investigate. Uh, The sincerity of the dear leader passed beyond challenge after the president's address entitled Freedom in Iraq in the Middle East at the 20th anniversary of the National Endowment for Democracy in Washington in November 2003. That's when the single question had been dismissed to the memory hole. It was replaced by Bush's messianic mission to bring democracy to the Middle East in what may be the most idealistic war fought in modern times, inspired by idealist-in-chief Paul Wolfowitz. I'm quoting from the liberal press. Uh, Well, I've undertaken considerable effort on this. Uh, You might try. I've found only the rarest of exceptions to this stance in media and intellectual commentary, although there are indeed critics. Uh, The critics warn that the noble and generous vision, as they call it, may be beyond our reach, may be too costly, Uh, The beneficiaries may be too backward, uh, not ready for democracy. And in fact, uh, evidence for that conclusion was provided just as President Bush formally revealed his messianic mission at the National Endowment celebration. Right at that time, a Gallup poll in Baghdad uh, provided the opportunity for respondents to leap on the democratization bandwagon, uh, but some failed to do so, 99%. Uh, asked why they thought that the United States invaded Iraq, 1% felt that the goal was to bring democracy, joining the chorus here. Uh, 5% uh, thought that the goal was to assist the Iraqi people, and the rest assumed that the goal was to take control of Iraq's resources and to reorganize the Middle East and U.S. and Israeli interests. Uh, That's what's called a conspiracy theory here. It's derided by rational Westerners who understand that Washington and London 
would have been just as dedicated to the liberation of Iraq uh, if its uh, resources happened to be, say, lettuce and pickles uh, rather than petroleum. That's what serious people understand. Uh, Well, that problem persists. Uh, Just a couple of weeks ago, the White House sent uh, PR specialist Karen Hughes to the Middle East uh, to explain to those backward people that they don't understand uh, Washington's dedication to their welfare and their freedom. Uh, But her uh, am-a-mom exercise in public diplomacy, which I'm sure you read about, uh, didn't work out so well. And the New York Times explained why. I'll quote it. Uh, Hughes kept to concise sound bites rather than sustained arguments. Uh, in the U.S., that works. The sound bites, continuing, the, the sound bites from the president are amplified by the media, and if that fails to work, money can be poured into saturation advertising. By contrast, in the lively and percussive environment of this region, Sound bites, media amplification, and the saturation advertising don't seem to work. Uh, these backward people, in other words, uh, think that sustained arguments and lively discussion are components of democracy. So our task of democracy promotion is going to be difficult. Uh, it's important to stress that such reports are apparently not intended with any irony. At least I can't detect any. Uh, It seems that the uh, deterioration of American democracy is not only recognized, but lauded. Well, quite apart from the timing, uh, faith in the miraculous conversion is a little difficult to sustain in the light of the behavior of the missionaries just moments before. It's hard to recall any display of contempt for democracy as clear as the old New Europe distinction that was announced by Donald Rumsfeld shortly before the invasion and eagerly taken up by the media and the political class. Uh, The criterion distinguishing uh, the two categories, old and new Europe, was very sharp and clear and unmistakable. Uh, Old Europe consisted of the countries where the government took the same stand on the war as the large majority of the population. While New Europe, the good guys, are the countries where the governments overruled even larger majorities and took their orders from Crawford, Texas. Uh, So therefore, old Europe is to be disparaged and new Europe is to be lauded as the hope for democracy and enlightenment. Uh, The most honored representative of New Europe was uh, Spain's Prime Minister, Aznar, and he was rewarded by being invited to the the Bush-Blair summit uh, announcing the invasion of Iraq. Uh, That was shortly after polls in Spain revealed that he was, in fact, backed in his support for the war uh, by 2% of the population. The display of hatred for democracy, which is... I think unparalleled. I can't remember anything like it. You might think about it. It reached its peak when the government of Turkey uh, actually followed the will of 95% of the population and rejected Washington's command. Uh, Turkey was bitterly condemned in the national press for lacking what were called democratic credentials. Uh, Colin Powell announced harsh punishment 
for this defection from good order, uh, the most extreme position was taken by Paul Wolfowitz. Uh, he went so far as to berate the Turkish military for not compelling the government to follow Washington's orders. And he demanded that military leaders apologize to the United States and say his words, we made a mistake. Let's figure out how we can be as helpful as possible to the Americans. That's what they should say, demonstrating their understanding of democracy. Uh, It's no wonder he was declared idealist in chief, whose sole flaw might be that he is too idealistic, that his passion for the noble goals of the Iraq war might overwhelm the prudence and pragmatism that normally guide war planners. Again, I'm not quoting the North Korean press. I'm quoting the liberal national press in the United States, which has been gushing over his amazing passion for democracy and human rights. And invariably, if you look, ignoring his record, which is open and public or free country, the record is one of appalling contempt for both democracy and human rights. Uh, back to his Reagan administration days and ever since. Bush and uh, Rumsfeld and Wolfowitz and their associates also pursued the president's messianic vision uh, in the traditional domains of U.S. power, Latin America. So in 2002, uh, they supported a military coup to overthrow the elected government of Venezuela, but they had to slink away in the face of overwhelming opposition and condemnation in Latin America, where the population also seems to be deficient in its understanding of democracy and therefore opposes U.S.-backed military coups to overthrow elected governments. After a uh, popular uprising restored the government, uh, Bush and company turned to subversion. So, for example, a couple of weeks ago, after decertifying Venezuela for alleged non-cooperation with U.S. drug operations in the region. Washington waived the cuts in U.S. foreign aid, usually attached to the decertification, so that it can continue to support Venezuelan pro-democracy groups that oppose the leftist Chavez. Some eyebrows might be raised, I guess, if Iran were funding anti-Bush groups in the United States uh, right after having backed a military coup to overthrow the government. But let's put that minor question aside and notice that for the press, it is a logical impossibility that some groups supporting Chavez could be pro-democracy. That's proven, in fact, by Washington's opposition to him. Uh, So accordingly, it can have no relevance whatsoever that Chavez has repeatedly won Uh, monitored elections and referenda, despite overwhelming and bitter media hostility, quite unlike here, uh, and that his popularity ratings are at 80 percent, or that uh, Latin America's major polling organization recently found uh, that while satisfaction with democracy continues its ominous decline throughout Latin America, incidentally, in striking parallel to the neoliberal programs imposed that undermine functioning democracy. While that's going on everywhere in Latin America, there were a few exceptions. Leading the list was Venezuela, where support uh, for democracy climbed 
from 64% to 74% through the Chavez years, and the country now leads Latin America in support for the elected government. But all that's irrelevant because Washington opposes the government and therefore any support for it must be anti-democratic. That's true by definition in North Korea and the United States. Elsewhere in Latin America, uh, democracy promotion follows the same course. Uh, So in March 2004, the missionaries uh, were concerned that elections in El Salvador might come out the wrong way. Uh, So they warned Salvadorans that if they make the wrong choice, uh, the country's lifeline might be cut. That's remittances from the United States, along with other consequences. Uh, These familiar patterns have been followed elsewhere as well, uh, including Central Asia, where the Bush administration has been an enthusiastic supporter of some of the world's worst uh, tyrants, torturers, murderers. Uh, That's not controversial, incidentally, but there's an explanation for it given by the New York Times. In a region of bases, energy, and big power rivalries, ideals require patience. Washington has to temper its passion for democracy and human rights. Okay. Well, even apart from the consistent record to the present, a rational observer might well conclude that the declarations of the Iranian foreign minister are more credible than those coming from Washington and London. There's a simple reason for that. Uh, Iran could live with a more or less democratic and sovereign Iraq. It's very hard to imagine how Washington and London could do so. Uh, To see why, it's just worth thinking for a minute about the policies that a more or less democratic and sovereign Iraq would be likely to adopt. Uh, The Shiite majority, uh, it would doubtless prefer friendly relations with Iran to antagonism and conflict. It's particularly true because they've had long-standing interactions. In fact, most of the religious leaders are from Iran. The main uh, militia that more or less runs the South was trained in Iran and so on. Uh, The relations, in fact, have been close for many years and they're now extending. That's not exactly Washington's fondest dream. Uh, Furthermore, uh, Shiite success in Iraq is already stimulating pressures for freedom among the bitterly oppressed Shiite population of Saudi Arabia right across the border. Those are tendencies that are only likely to increase uh, if Iraq were to be granted a measure of sovereignty. And that is the region uh, where most of uh, Saudi oil happens to be. So the outcome could be Washington's ultimate nightmare. A Shiite-dominated alliance comprising Iraq, uh, Iran, and the oil regions of Saudi Arabia, independent of Washington, and controlling the bulk of the world's energy resources. It's not unlikely that an independent bloc of this kind might follow Iran's lead in developing major energy projects jointly with China and India, That's a turn to the east that is deeply troubling to U.S. and British planners. Uh, Additional reasons for skepticism are that an independent Iraq might well uh, seek to recover its natural leadership role in the Arab world, Uh, therefore rearming to confront the regional enemy, no secret who that is, and possibly uh, developing a nuclear deterrent. 
So what we're being asked to believe by the unanimous chorus uh, is that the United States will stand by quietly uh, watching a serious challenge to its primary regional client as well as the takeover of the world's major energy resources by a Muslim bloc free from U.S. control, control that up till now has been exercised by the Gulf monarchies that have long been allied with the United States. Well, you know, it's not a logical impossibility, but the prospects seem a little remote. Uh, Nevertheless, those who have jumped enthusiastically on the democratization bandwagon are suggesting that Washington will observe all of this politely, uh, perhaps applauding. The uh, strongest witnesses for the defense of the authenticity of the president's mission uh, should be the leading scholars and most enthusiastic uh, advocates of democracy promotion. The most prominent among them is the director of the Democracy and Rule of Law Project at the Carnegie Endowment, it's Thomas Carruthers, uh, who identifies himself as a neo-Reaganite because of Reagan's love for democracy. Uh, a year after the invasion of Iraq, and in fact just after the messianic mission had replaced the single question, uh, Carruthers published a book reviewing the record of democracy promotion by the United States since the end of the Cold War. And it's worth reading. Uh, Carruthers finds what he calls a strong line of continuity running through all administrations in the post-war Cold War era, including Bush number two. Namely, democracy is promoted by the United States if and only if it conforms to security and economic interests. He says that all administrations are schizophrenic in this regard uh, with puzzling consistency. Incidentally, the same schizophrenia you find in such uh, wonderful uh, advocates of democracy as Joseph Stalin, uh, the Emperor Hirohito, and others. Same consistency, same schizophrenia. Carruthers also wrote the standard scholarly work on democracy promotion in Latin America in the 1980s. That was in part from an insider's perspective because he was serving in the uh, Reagan State Department in uh, what were called programs of democracy enhancement. Uh, He writes that he considers that these programs were sincere, although they were a failure. And he's honest enough to point out that they were a systematic failure, namely... Uh, as he writes, where U.S. influence was least, that is, in the southern cone of Latin America, progress toward democracy was greatest, uh, despite Reagan's attempting to impede it by embracing right-wing dictators. Uh, Where U.S. influence was strongest in the regions nearby, progress was least. And Carruthers explains the reason. Namely, Washington would tolerate only limited top-down forms of democratic change that did not risk upsetting the traditional structures of power with which the United States has long been allied in quite undemocratic societies. So in short, the strong line of continuity goes back a decade earlier to its Reaganite roots. Nonetheless, the dedication to the principles is unquestionable, and we must believe that Bush number two 
is dedicated to his messianic vision of creating a sovereign democratic Iraq and bringing democracy everywhere. Well, in fact, the strong line of continuity goes back much farther. Uh, Democracy promotion has always been proclaimed as a guiding vision, but it isn't even controversial that the United States regularly overthrew democratic governments, uh, often installing or supporting brutal tyrannies, Iran, Guatemala, Brazil, Chile, long list of others. Uh, There were Cold War pretexts, but they regularly collapse on slightest investigation. Uh, In his 2004 book, Carruthers predicted, with regret, that Washington's Iraq policies would extend the strong line of continuity. They will, he wrote, likely exhibit similar contradictions between stated principles and political reality. Well, those predictions were being fulfilled as his book went to press. Uh, The occupation authorities worked assiduously to avert the threat of democracy, but they were compelled with great reluctance to abandon their own plans to impose a constitution and to prevent elections. There are very few competent observers who would disagree with the editors of the world's leading business daily, the London Financial Times, that the reason the elections took place was the insistence of the Grand Ayatollah Ali Sistani, who vetoed three schemes by the U.S.-led occupation authorities to shelve or dilute elections. The veteran correspondent Patrick Coburn, who's one of the very few non-embedded journalists in Iraq, he adds that it was only when it became clear that the U.S. could not withstand a Shia uprising that elections turned out to have been an American goal all along. No serious observer doubts that the elections were a triumph of mass nonviolent resistance, which compelled the occupiers to allow them to take place. Well, although they were compelled to tolerate elections, the U.S. and Britain at once tried to subvert them. Uh, there was a U.S. candidate, Yad Alawi. He was given every imaginable advantage, state resources, access to TV, support of the military occupation. He ran a very distant third with about 12% of the vote. To ensure that elections would be free, uh, the U.S. Uh, expelled the most important independent media from the country, and notably the Qatar-based channel Al Jazeera, which is despised by the ruling tyrants in the region because it's been a leading force for democratization in the Arab world. And that alone makes its presence before elections in Iraq inappropriate. And the background, in fact, tells us more about the messianic mission. So for years, high officials in the U.S., uh, Cheney, Rumsfeld, Rice, Powell, others, uh, had been pressuring Qatar to curtail the channel's reporting. Uh, The U.S. bombed its facilities in Kabul and Baghdad, killing a Jordanian correspondent there. U.S. pressure was so intense, according to a senior Qatari official, quote, so intense that the government is accelerating plans to put Al Jazeera on the market, though Bush administration officials counter that a privately owned station in the region may be no better from their point of view. So we therefore have another demonstration of Bush's vision of democracy in the Middle East. No media can be tolerated that are not under U.S. control, whether public or private. 
the fundamental problem facing Washington Iraq, in Iraq was reported regularly. So right on the eve of the election, two experienced correspondents wrote that the one thing every Iraqi agrees upon is that occupation should end soon, which would be in direct conflict with the U.S. objective of constructing a U.S.-friendly democracy that would allow America to replace its military presence in Saudi Arabia with one in Iraq that would allow America to keep shaping the regional balance of power. As in the traditional domains of U.S. control, a democracy will be welcomed as long as it is the conventional top-down form that leaves in power elites supportive of U.S. goals in a highly undemocratic society, quoting Carruthers. The uh, Iraq specialist of the Wall Street Journal summarized Washington's problems a couple days before the elections. He wrote, the men likely to lead Iraq's next government promise to demand withdrawal as soon as they take power after next Sunday's national elections. That's obviously unacceptable. There would have been no point to the invasion if the United States could not maintain a dependable client state and military basing rights. So he continues, the Wall Street Journal expert, Washington hopes and expects that the dominant Shiite alliance would accept vague promises to withdraw rather than a firm timeline. Well, what Iraqis think about such matters, we can't really know with much confidence. The last poll taken by a major U.S. polling organization was before the election, released on the day of the elections. Uh, It found that 82% of Sunnis and 69% of Shiites quoting it now, favor U.S. forces withdrawing either immediately or after an elected government is in place. It's a couple of weeks before the election, the last poll. Uh, Similar results have been found in Western-run polls since shortly after the invasion. So in one of the most in-depth polls that was taken, the Oxford Research International found in fall 2003 that less than 1% worry about occupation forces actually leaving, and 80% have no confidence in U.S.-British forces. The newly elected parliament has a national sovereignty committee, which just issued a report, quoting it, calling for setting a timetable for the occupation forces, as they describe them, to go home. Uh, In the British-occupied South, the main Shiite party, Skiri, has just demanded that the British troops keep to their barracks. After the election in January, polls either stopped or have been kept secret, at least they haven't been reported. Uh, one of the most prominent public opinion specialists in the United States, Stephen Cull, is the director of the Program on International Policy Attitudes in one of the the most prestigious polling agencies. He recently reported, and plenty of Washington contacts, uh, he reported, in his words, that the International Republican Institute stopped publishing its polling data from Iraq after the elections. The findings were getting pretty negative toward the U.S. presence there. Uh, Well, it's possible that that's the reason, or it may be that the decline in polling is just a result of the extraordinary catastrophe 
that was created by the idealists in Washington. This is the first war in memory uh, that simply can't be reported because journalists are pretty much confined to the fortified U.S. green zone in Baghdad or else if they go out they have to be surrounded by Marines and Abrams tanks. It's obvious enough what this means for the population. A professor of strategic studies at the Naval War College writes that last year, the year 2004, was a truly horrible and brutal one for hapless Iraq with hatred of the United States now rampant in a country subjected to years of sanctions that had already led to the destruction of the Iraqi middle class, the collapse of the secular educational system, and the growth of illiteracy, despair, and anomie that promoted an Iraqi religious revival among large numbers of Iraqis seeking succor in religion. But we're instructed not to think about any of that. Well, it's clear enough that the Iraqi calamity again illustrates the strong line of continuity uh, much as Carruthers had anticipated. And that shouldn't be too surprising uh, given the unusual significance of Iraq in geopolitical and economic terms. Well, beyond the declarations of leaders and the self-refuting case of Iraq, uh, several additional bits of evidence have been put forward uh, to justify the faith in the sincerity of the Messianic mission. Actually, three, uh, Lebanon, Egypt, and Palestine. So let's turn to these. Uh, The case of Lebanon can be dismissed unless the CIA is taking credit uh, for the bombing that killed Rafiq Hariri, uh, which set off the anti-Syrian demonstrations that did lead to a complex but significant opening of Lebanese society. Actually, that was one of the speculations circulating in Beirut, though it's not really credible. But one can imagine why the story might have some resonance. Uh, Perhaps Lebanese have not consigned to oblivion uh, the most horrendous car bombing in Beirut in 1985. That was a huge explosion, uh, killing 80 people and wounding 200, mostly women and girls leaving the mosque where the bomb was placed. The attack was aimed at a Muslim cleric who escaped, and it's out of Western history because it was traced to the CIA and Saudi intelligence, apparently with British help. So that's obviously not proper for history. Uh, Well, without pursuing the matter further, I think we can exclude Lebanon from the canon. So let's turn to Egypt. Uh, There is a popular movement for change in Egypt in opposition to the U.S.-backed Mubarak dictatorship. began in in 2000. It was largely sparked by the Palestinian Intifada. The leading elements in the movement were the Palestinian solidarity groups and continuing U.S.-backed atrocities in the occupied territories stimulated the Egyptian reform movement further, as its leaders point out, and it was then joined by the mass opposition to the war in Iraq. Uh, The spokesperson for Kifaya, the name of the movement, opening, uh, stresses that it is an anti-imperial movement with goals extending beyond democratization of Egypt. So the democratization movement in Egypt doesn't look like a very good candidate for the messianic mission. 
uh, and its impact. Well, that leaves uh, Israel and Palestine. It's a more interesting case. I'll turn to it directly. But before that, it's worthwhile, I think, to bear in mind that in the Arab and Muslim worlds, there is, in fact, a long history of attempts to uh, advance democracy and human rights, regularly blocked by Western intervention. It goes back very far. Uh, the overthrow of the parliamentary regime in Iran in 1953 by U.S.-British military coup, which initiated the vicious regime of the Shah, uh, that's only one of many illustrations. In recent years, as I mentioned, the, probably the most important democratizing force has been Al Jazeera. primary reason why it's so despised by the Arab tyrannies and by Washington. Uh, in Iraq, the record goes back quite far. It goes back to constitutional movements and uh, contested elections a century ago. Political development was set back in the normal way by the British occupation after the First World War. Political scientist uh, Adid Dawisha writes that the British were singularly hostile to democratic practices if they were perceived to be impeding British interests, nor were the Americans any more enamored with the democratic process. In other words, the familiar strong line of continuity. We might also remember, as Iraqis surely do, the U.S. and British reaction when Iraq broke out of the Anglo-American condominium uh, controlling Middle East oil in 1958, succeeding where Iran had failed five years earlier. The U.S. reacted by sending troops to Lebanon, uh, including armed with nuclear weapons, to ensure that the virus of independent nationalism didn't spread. Uh, Britain did the same in Jordan. There was a high-level meeting in Washington, British Foreign Secretary and Secretary of State John Foster Dulles, who agreed that Britain should grant nominal independence to the British colony of Kuwait so as to try to stem the spread of nationalism, but on condition that Britain would, I'm quoting, ruthlessly intervene if there were any threat to British control, no matter where it came from. Uh, the U.S. formally undertook the same commitment to ruthlessly intervene uh, in the major oil monarchies. Uh, the U.S. and Britain feared that the Iraqi coup was inspired by Nasser, who they despised. And Nasser was the leading figure of secular Arab nationalism. He was confronting the radical Islamic fundamentalist dictatorships backed by the U.S. and Britain. Uh, Nasser was bitterly condemned by the U.S. and Britain as another Hitler, who was even intending to direct the tremendous oil wealth of the region to the needs of its own people, not comprehending uh, that the riches have to flow to the West, primarily the U.S. and Britain, with, of course, a rake-off for the corrupt and brutal local managers of the enterprise. The British Foreign Office feared, I'm quoting it, that the goals of the leader of the coup, Abdul Karim Qasim, went, quoting, went well beyond political independence, dignity, and unity in brotherly cooperation with other Arabs. He wanted to increase and distribute the national wealth to found a new society and a new democracy 
and to use this strong democratic Arabist Iraq as an instrument to free and elevate other Arabs and Afro-Asians and to assist the destruction of imperialism. A really bad guy. Uh, didn't take long for Qasem to be overthrown by Ba'athists, backed by the U.S. and Britain. The coup appears to have been orchestrated by the CIA, uh, but whatever the U.S. role, it was definitely a gain for our side, as President Kennedy was told by Robert Comer of the National Security Council. The usual hideous atrocities followed with avid U.S. support, including a welcome slaughter of so-called communists uh, and other crimes continuing to the present, the worst of them by the U.S. and Britain or with their direct support right through Saddam's worst crimes. Well, the powerful uh, prefer to consign all such matters to boring ancient history, uh, but the victims don't have that luxury. They have to pay attention to the real world. Let's turn to... uh, Washington's commitment to democracy promotion for Palestine. Uh, These laudable efforts were put on hold until the death of Yasser Arafat, which was hailed as an opportunity for the realization of what the press calls uh, Bush's vision of a democratic Palestinian state. That's in fact a uh, pale and vague reflection of the international consensus that the U.S. has blocked for 30 years and still does, facts comfortably residing in the memory hole, but easy to discover. Uh, The reason for the new hopes were explained in a front-page New York Times think piece uh, under the headline, Hoping Democracy Can Replace a Palestinian Icon, Arafat. Here's the first sentence of the article. The post-Arafat era will be the latest test of a quintessentially American article of faith, that elections provide legitimacy even to the frailest institutions. First sentence. Here's the final paragraph on the continuation page. The paradox for the Palestinians is rich, however. In the past, the Bush administration resisted new national elections among the Palestinians. The thought then was that elections would make Mr. Arafat look better and give him a fresher mandate. So in brief, The quintessential article of faith is that elections are fine as long as they come out the right way. Strong line of continuity again, along with its paradoxical quality. Inexplicably, uh, deeds consistently accord with interests and conflict with words. Discoveries which, however, Uh, must not weaken our faith in the sincerity of the declaration of our leaders, just as in our model, North Korea. Uh, Bush amplified his vision by refusing, for the first time, uh, to endorse the regular UN condemnation of Israel's annexation of Jerusalem in violation of Security Council orders, which the U.S. joined, but didn't mean... Uh, Bush then proceeded to endorse Israel's takeover of settlement blocks in the West Bank, uh, pretty much the region that uh, the U.S. and Israel are now effectively incorporating behind the separation wall. It's in defiance of world court judgment that it violates international law. Uh, The U.S. justice dissented alone from that ruling, 
but on very narrow technical grounds. He joined the rest of the court on the crucial issues, in particular on the judgment that the Geneva Conventions apply to the West Bank, uh, so the transfer of population there is illegal, and that all Israeli settlements there are illegal. Uh, the same holds for other U.S.-backed Israeli actions to fragment the region by taking over valuable land and resources, including, if you look at the maps, two major salients uh, that create three virtually separated cantons, all virtually separated from what's to be left of Arab East Jerusalem. That's the center of Palestinian commercial, cultural, and political life. That's the vision that's being implemented by U.S.-funded settlements and massive infrastructure projects to incorporate the territories effectively within Israel, leaving the remnants of Palestine isolated and unviable uh, with the expectation that the population will either leave or rot in something that will be called a state. Uh, there isn't any time here to review the diplomatic record during the now 38 years of the occupation, but it is so consistent and so extensively documented that it takes real diligence, real subordination to power to miss it. What it reveals is that the U.S. has unilaterally barred an overwhelming international consensus on a two-state political settlement and still does. In fact, there has been exactly one departure from this consistent rejectionism. That was in January 2001, the last month of Clinton's administration. In January, a high-level Israeli and Palestinian negotiators met in Taba and came fairly close to reaching an agreement that was pretty much in terms of the international consensus on a two-state settlement. Israel called off the negotiations, so their possible outcome is unknown. There's a very detailed report on this by uh, European envoy Miguel Moratinos, which was accepted as accurate by both sides, was prominently reported in Israel, though ignored in the United States. Uh, unofficial negotiations continued, leading to the announcement of the Geneva Accords in December 2002, welcomed by most of the world, unilaterally blocked by Washington, and rejected by Israel. Uh, the centerpiece of the Bush-Sharon programs for takeover of the West Bank is presented as a Gaz Gaza disengagement plan, which offers new hopes for peace. Uh, there's an element of truth to that. Sane U.S.-Israeli rejectionists surely wanted Israel's illegal settlements removed from Gaza. Gaza has been turned into a complete disaster area under the occupation with a few thousand Jewish settlers taking much of the land and the scarce resources and protected by a large part of the Israeli army. It makes no sense from Israel's point of view. Far more reasonable for U.S.-Israeli goals is to leave Gaza as the largest and most overcrowded prison in the world, as Israeli human rights groups describe it, uh, in which Palestinians can rot uh, largely cut off from contact for, with the outside, from land or sea or air, and with few means of sustenance. Uh, the fact that the Gaza pullout was really an expansion plan was not concealed. 
As the plan was made public, Israel's finance minister announced that Israel will invest tens of millions of dollars in West Bank settlements as it withdraws from the Gaza Strip. Uh, Sharon met with uh, Defense Minister Shaul Mofaz to discuss bolstering West Bank settlement blocks that are slated to be annexed to Israel under a final agreement, and he ordered new settlement programs in the two salients that divide the West Bank into cantons. Uh, the uh, U.S.-Israeli disengagement plan, which very pointedly rejected any Palestinian participation, was quite explicit about intentions. What it states is the following. In any future permanent status arrangement, it is clear that in the West Bank there are areas that will be part of the state of Israel, including major Israeli population centers, cities, towns, and villages, security areas, and other places of special interest to Israel. Take a look at the map and you see exactly what that means. Uh, Palestinian concerns are irrelevant in the vision. Uh, Harvard uh, Mideast scholar Sarah Roy is one of the leading academic specialists on the occupation. She writes that under the terms of disengagement, Israel's occupation is assured. Gazans will be contained and sealed within the electrified borders of the Strip, while West Bankers, their lands dismembered by relentless Israeli settlement, will continue to be penned into fragmented geographic spaces isolated behind and between walls and barriers. And that, she says, correctly appears unavoidable as long as the U.S. backs Israel's takeover of anything of value in the West Bank. Uh, as you saw the last in September, August and September, there was an enormous media blitz on disengagement, and it was quite impressive. Actually, it manufactured one of the lead stories of the year, there were pages and pages, and plenty of TV, on photos, reports of the pathos of the families who were forced to leave their homes and greenhouses, the weeping children trying vainly to hold back the soldiers, uh, the anguish of the soldiers who were ordered to evict Jews from their homes, and to remove the thousands of protesters who flooded to the settlements to resist the ac- occupation miraculously evading the military forces that keep an iron grip on Palestinians. Uh, The Israeli journalist Amir Haas, who's done the most extensive and insightful reporting on Gaza for many years, uh, she summarized the reality that's kept in the shadows. For the sake of about half a percent of the population of the Gaza Strip, a Jewish half percent, The lives of the remaining 99.5% were totally disrupted and destroyed. Uh, The half percent lived in a flourishing park and splendid villas just 20 meters from overcrowded, suffocating uh, refugee camps. They could turn on the sprinklers on the lawns were just across the way. 20,000 other people are dependent on the distribution of drinking water and tankers. Meanwhile, the People's Army of Israel turned vineyards and groves and orchards and fields into desert, uprooting the green lungs of Gaza, mutilating the most beautiful areas, and cutting off the livelihood of tens of thousands of families to ensure the safety of the settlers, all thanks to enormous U.S. military, economic, and diplomatic support 
not to speak of ideological support in the doctrinal institutions. Uh, also ignored in the media extravaganza was the fact, which was plain enough, that the disengagement in, on August 15th required no army intervention at all. Uh, the government could simply have announced that on that date, the army would leave the Strip. And a couple of weeks before, uh, the settlers who had been subsidized to take over large parts of the Strip would have quietly departed in the lorries that were provided to them with ample compensation to resettle. But the problem with that is it wouldn't have entrenched the right message. Never again must Jews suffer such a terrible fate. Uh, The West Bank must be ours. Uh, Also missing from the reporting was the fact that the melodrama was a rerun of what the most prestigious Hebrew daily, Aretz, had called in 1982 Operation National Trauma 1982. That was the evacuation of settlers from Yamit in the Egyptian Sinai uh, after the Egypt-Israel peace agreement in 1979. Uh, that operation was described by a leading Israeli journalist, Amnon Kapeliuk, as one of the largest brainwashing operations conducted by the government in order to convince the Israeli people that they have suffered a national trauma the effect of which will be felt for generations. The well-orchestrated trauma was intended to create a national consensus opposed to similar withdrawals in the remaining occupied territories and, crucially, to establish the same consensus among the paymasters overseas. Uh, General Chaim Erez, who commanded the 1982 operation, said that everything was planned and agreed from the beginning with the settlers who were to offer a show of resistance. And one consequence, Kapeliuk writes, is that while the hospitals of the West Bank were full of scores of Palestinian victims of trigger-happy Israeli soldiers, a miracle occurred in Yamit. No demonstrators required even first aid attention. Uh, Operation National Trauma 2005 it reached even more elevated heights of drama with the same miracle. Uh, only soldiers appear to have been injured. Mm-hmm. Among the uh, prominent Israeli commentators who ridiculed the stage drama uh, was one of Israel's leading sociologists, Baruch Kimmerling, Hebrew University, uh, who compared it to a Latin American soap opera with weeping at the appropriate moments very carefully contrived to facilitate the West Bank takeover in a more elaborate replay of Operation National Trauma 1982, skillfully performed for the benefit of the Western media and audiences. Very skillfully, in fact. Uh, The obvious facts were never even hinted at. Uh, On the day, final day of Operation National Trauma 2005, Uh, Israeli officials confirmed that Israel is confiscating more land uh, to extend the separation barrier around the city of Ma'ale Adumim. It's well to the east of Jerusalem, established mostly under Clinton with the purpose of bisecting the West Bank. Uh, That seals off, uh, he announced that they would build 350 
3,500 new houses and apartments. Uh, the New York Times reported accurately for once that it will cut deep into the West Bank, sealing off Palestinians in East Jerusalem, and virtually separating the southern canton from the remainder of the fragmented West Bank that I added. Uh, the U.S. ambassador reiterated Bush's commitment to the expansion plans, stating that in the context of a final status agreement, the United States will support the retention by Israel of areas with a high concentration of Israeli population, all illegal, as even the U.S. Justice to the Court agrees. These are the so-called settlement blocks that create the three Bantu stands, I'm borrowing the standard and accurate term uh, used by Israel's leading specialist on the West Bank, Mehran Benvenisti, and others who attend to the facts. All three of the Bantu stands virtually separated from whatever is left of Palestinian Jerusalem. Well, without proceeding, uh, even the bare outlines make it clear enough that, is, that Palestine adjoins the other illustrations of Bush's uh, messianic mission to bring peace and democracy and justice to the Middle East and the world. Uh, the persistence of the strong line of continuity to the present again reveals that the United States is very much like other powerful states. It pursues uh, the strategic and uh, economic interests of dominant domestic sectors of the population and it does so to the accompaniment of rhetorical flourishes about its exceptional dedication to the highest value values. And that's practically a historical universal. And the reason why nobody any, with a brain cell functioning pays the slightest attention to declaration of noble intent by leaders. I mean, they carry no information, zero information, even in a technical sense. They're completely predictable, including the worst monsters. So you just disregard them, obviously, whether it's Hitler, Stalin, Hirohito, Bush, anybody. It's always the same. That's, try to find an exception to them. I mean, if we had records from Genghis Khan, I suspect we'd find the same thing. I can't think of an exception. Uh, it should come as no surprise that the evidence for Washington's dedication to the proclaimed messianic mission reduces to routine pronouncements of leaders and that the counter evidence is mountainous, although the unanimity of the leap onto the democratization bandwagon is perhaps rather startling and of no slight significance for those who care about the state of American democracy. The general principle is that abroad, democracy is fine as long as it takes the top-down form that does not interfere, does not risk even, popular interference with the primary interests of power and wealth. And in fact, much the same doctrine holds internally. It's a topic of very great importance to us and to the world, but uh, for another time. Thanks. This is Active Ingredients. You have been listening to MIT linguistics professor Noam Chomsky delivering the 8th annual Ekbal Ahmed lecture at Hampshire College. 
If you tune in late or want to hear this talk again, www.activingredients.org.